לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamit in Highland Park, New Jersey, in the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on JM. And joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski of Andre Chesed, New York City, Rabbi Mary J. Chesler of Salman Shaykh, the Day School. You know, I'm chanting our names. I'm chanting our names because we, we just had a conversation about the, the, the difference between chanting and speaking and there's so much information encoded in the chant of the torah there's so much information encoded in speaking the torah and that's a conversation that we're going to have probably another time we have this amazing parsha for shabbat shuvah well, as well as long as, we're, as long as we're talking about it as long as we're talking about it uh first of all i i'm looking forward to one day elliot you start our our, our show by saying Welcome to yet another <laughs> another case of Parsha talk. <laughs> yet another Parsha talk. So the Torah does say this week, it's really the lead-in to Ha'azinu. Nice. But, well, write this poem, and place it in the mouth. You definitely remember stuff, you know stuff differently when you've heard it sung. And I do think that there's a, a kind of a troubadour quality you know, um, or maybe the, maybe we think about the Gemara with the Amar Kiva, and and there's a way in which the musicality of it, uh, you know, really does help it seep into our ears. So and on that on that whole point, I I think you're absolutely right. In fact, you know, I as a, I just read this book on the history of music by Ted Joya, G I O I A. Beautiful, beautiful book in which he talks about, you know, ancient music as and, and music and song as the vehicle with which we communicate information, including legal information, narrative information, you know, stories, etc. You know, that comes down to us through song, and and it's not an accident that the Torah has a a a, a musical tradition associated with it. Because as we all know, that's that's how you remember it. You, there's that's another way to read. Look, if you if you said to people, "Can you chant the first paragraph of the Shema?" They would probably go if if they've had you know some Jewish education. They go, They get it perfect, by the way, because they know the music. They know the chant to it. So, so yeah, go ahead. What, what the music does is it fixes. The meaning it removes the level of ambiguity that we sometimes find in the written or even the spoken text. Um, we don't necessarily agree with the reading the song proposes, but it does propose almost all the time one particular reading. But I was reminded of the difference between poetry and song is when you read lyrics like Bob Dylan. I have several books of his lyrics. When you read them as poetry, they sound very different than. The songs, right. you know, the meter often doesn't work in the written word the way it does in the song. 
and it just emphasizes how much meaning singing does give to a text. You know, it's so interesting. And we're, we're in, I think, I, I would go out on the limb and say, we're in the most musical zone of the Jewish year. So much of what happens in the synagogue is tied to music and the the settings of all of the great pieces. You, you can't get my, you can't do Anutanatoka with <laughs> you can't daven that. It has to that be. That wouldn't work. It has that to would, be. That wouldn't work. Exactly right. Um, <laughs> Whatever the melody is. Right. So the other way that music works is that music is also the, the catalyst for memory itself. Yes. So we remember that we sing in Shul and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Now, we don't remember written texts quite in the same way. No, but but text gets encoded in our lives or in our minds through the musical settings. There's no in, in my no no question about it. I yeah. mean, none of us would think about Avinu Malkeinu without Avinu Malkeinu, and 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 that's and there's so much information in the music of that. It's longing. It's all about. Long. I did a whole little thing about. You know, and, and I'm sure you've heard this. This was Rabbi Morty Leifman. Remember Morty Leifman, Zichron Levracha, beautiful, sure. beautiful human being, who would go Yitkadam, Yitkadam, What's that about? What's that about? It's about oh, it's about feeling. And then he'd go da 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 da. And what's that? That's holding there and then what does it do why because the jewish people can't sustain that level of fear it's beautiful it's beautiful yeah, that is and that's what's encoded in the music okay and so yeah it's hard to read these texts that you know the torah also without it but but we we and and we've talked about it way back in in bamidbar also the song of the the gifts of the Nasi'im. It's a song, basically. Repeated. So, one of the things that's interesting in the more modern Sidurim, they often print biblical texts with the trope. Yeah. Yeah. But not too many places sing all of them. Okay. And like Azir Shir, a famous biblical text, we sing to a different melody than the trope suggests. But what's interesting is that I have yet to see a Sidur where selections from the Vim and Ketuvim were printed with trope. Interesting. And anyone try to sing the trope to them? Yeah, it wouldn't work. Even a, a, a colleague of ours, uh, Joe Prouser, yeah, put the Gettysburg Address to Haftarah trope. It's that really, it really quite it sounds quite good. Um, you know, incidentally, also, you guys know that I'm really into medieval Hebrew poetry and the. You know, in, in Spain, the medieval Hebrew poetry, at first, the really simple, simple rhythm of Adon Olam, it's, it's, it's alternation of vowel patterns, short, long, 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 Adon Olam, Asher Malach, uh, and, and that, would, that, would, that was the simplest rhythm, but they, they had different ones, they had more ornate ones, they had more complicated ones, they ultimately sort of left it behind, but what it did was to set up a kind of you know, rhythmic intonation or chant. And these things were synagogue poems. So my personal favorite poem is, it's just an amazing one by Avraham Ibn Ezra. And it was a pop hit for Ehud Banai, or uh, Meir, ba Meir Banai, 
called Lecha Eli Tishuati Bechacheshki Davati. And it's, it's hundreds of, or it's dozens of lines. And maybe it's it's probably like around 150 lines or so. Dum dum dum, dum dum dum, and it's got this incantational quality. Um, and it was it was recited as part of the Yom Kippur liturgy. Uh, it's it is a Yom Kippur confessional, and uh, you know I, well, I have it here. Know. You know what? We're 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 going we're going for it. Okay. Here, this is it. Probably get pulled down from YouTube for this. <laughs> if anyone listens, okay. That's my colleague. But uh, is that the one you're referring to? It's a, it's a different, different poem on the same album. But, okay. Uh, but okay. The point you can tell, you can tell that what what Banai does on that album is a bunch of them. Uh, other Israeli um, artists have have done the same is trying to put modern music to to medieval poetry. But wouldn't it be amazing? You know, I mean, I like I like you know modern pop music as much as anybody, but wouldn't it be like totally mind blowing if people were writing pop hits to Shakespeare uh, or something like that? The, the the you know modern music with with classical words. That's one of the great things about Hebrew culture, Israeli culture. Is, well, that, that's that medieval stuff come alive. On a, on a serious note, that's that's exactly the cutting edge right now of, of of Israeli music. Israeli music is is really at the point where East and West are 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 just colliding with each other and mixing it up, and the these artists are taking you know PU team and they're setting it to modern rhythms. They're sending it. They 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 keeping they're keeping the the um, the Eastern you know scales and chord patterns and 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 they're creating Ooh. something yeah. unbelievable. It's I, I was at a concert uh, or was at something in Israel in March. I, I I was like blown away. It was it was completely unbe you know unbelievable. All right. Speaking of unbelievable, Vayelech Moshe Vayidaber that very Kol Yisrael our parsha Vayelech. And so he says, Moses says, as he goes to speak these things, Ben Me'av Esrim Shana, I'm 120 years old today, Anochi Ayom, Lo Chal Od Latzet Velavo, I no longer can come and go. And I, my question I asked you was, is, is it because he's, you know, he's feeble, he's, he's kind of, you know, a little unsteady on his feet, or is it, like God, is is he boxed in a corner? And 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 is there a debate on this, or or do we just all want to side with, with your position, Barry? <laughs> Anachronistically, we wouldn't say he's boxed in the corner. He's boxed in the casket. Yeah, <laughs> but I I think that we have to read this line with the concluding verses of the Torah in where Moshe is described as being 120 years old. His eyesight had not dimmed and his strength had not waned. So he was as perfect a physical specimen at 120 as he ever was. So there was no physical reason for him to die. But way back in Breshi, when God was angry at some of the doings of human beings and other beings, 
He said that human beings should only live 120 years. And Moshe, in fact, is the only one in the entire Bible who lives exactly 120 years. And even after God says that, of course, many people live a lot longer than 120. Right. So I think that the message for Moshe is that every life has a term and it does not go on forever. Well, I, and, I, like, I just want to pick up on that little little factoid, which is that Moses actually lives by the Torah because the Torah says you're going to live to 120 and he lives to 120. And, and you know, in the rabbinic tradition, it's 120 to the day, Right. And and his Yortzite seven Adar is also his birthday, right? I think that that's the the correct. Yeah, he, he, it's one hundred twenty, and and so there's a, a an effort here to offer this interpretation in in a punctilious way that the rabbis would often do, which is he uh, adheres to the 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 letter and the spirit of the Torah in terms of the full and complete life. Well, and fitting in with the season, I think another part of the message here is that Moses. For all of his foibles, which we have discussed, is whole. Yeah. And one can be whole with blemishes as well as what we would call perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. it's just that let's take a look for two seconds at the end of that Pasu. God said to me, You're not crossing over the Jordan. Okay, so we, we know the story. We know that 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 Moses uh, is not uh, going to go into the promised land. Um, but on, on this level of boundary and that, that you are locked into the zone, you are locked into this desert zone, you're locked into the Egypt zone, and you can't go forward. Uh, I think there's something, I, I, I want to say, I, I want to feel the pathos here. And I do feel the pathos here. And maybe the Torah is trying to elicit pathos from from us, from the readers, from the listeners, right? That here's a, here, it's, it's now here, the death is here. And, and the, 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 not the irony of it, not the paradox of it, and not the tragedy of it, but the reality of it is that he's still got a lot of years in him. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, as Barry said, the, the Torah is, is giving us a couple of different pictures. Um, I think the Torah wants to say it seems, you know, clear to me that the same fate of the desert generation, like, you know, that that was a punishment for their faithlessness at the scene of the spies. But we can also read it as a kind of a maturation that the people who experienced one kind of thing, experienced Egypt, who experienced Yitzhak Mitzrayim in a narrow sense, they experienced the leaving of Egypt, they went to Sinai, they experienced that. They may not be the same people who are going to succeed in Kibush Haaretz, in the, in the settling of the land. Um, Moshe, who, who leadership, you know, he, he's become what, whatever he does in the Torah. He's become the Moshe Rabbeinu. He's become the intellectual, the rabbinic, the the Torah leader of the people. He might not be the guy who's who's really most well suited for the next task. And so the Torah wants to tell us both that he was physically undimmed, undiminished. He's fine. There was no physical reason that his life had to come to an end, except you know God say so. But I also think that Torah wants to tell this other tale that uh, there are generational shifts are, you know, they may be sad, but they're real and they have to happen and they have to happen for a purpose. And so now we have to have a shift in what our national mission, at least in the way our national mission is to be applied. Okay.
So speaking of the national mission, Moses has, has a job here, and his job is to basically give the final push to the people. He'll use these words. To the people, he'll say, uh, that's verse 6, Be, and, and we'll, we'll try and figure out what that means. Chizku we'll get from the word chazak, which we usually mean, translate as strong. Imtsu, amatz, we'll figure out in a second. So he's saying, uh, be strong, be bold, be courageous, be whatever. Don't be afraid and don't be scared in front of them because God, your God, he is the one going with you. He won't let you down and he won't leave you. Lo yarpecha Then he turns to Joshua and he says to Joshua, and I love the way that the text says it, He's got to do it in front of everybody. In other words, it's like super validation. I'm, I'm giving him the final liftoff. Be strong, we translate it, be good, of good courage or whatever amatz means. You will come with this people to the land that God swore to your, their, their ancestors, Lahem to give to them, and you will bring them there. You will get them to inherit. So, uh, strong, be strong. These are, it's a key phrase here. And, and you know, it lights up for us because um, in the Psalm that we recite for Rosh, between Elul and the end of Sukkot, it's the last verse of Psalm 27, which um, let's do the best preaching we can do here. Hope in the Lord, be strong, be of good courage, and hope in the Lord. And, and that psalm is all about how, how afraid, how fearful. Who will I fear? Well, he's probably afraid of a lot of things. So let's talk about Chazak Ve'amatz, and let's talk about fear, and let's talk about, you know, the edge of the boundary, and let's talk about this time. Take it from there. Amatz, Jeremy. Uh, well, I'm going to go just with something you just told me. So you, you should say it yourself about the... No, I want you to say about the ethics. Well, the, the, <laughs> we're talking about, you know, before before the show began, we were talking about, and Elliot brought a commentary from the 19th century. Uh, Malbim. The, the Malbim, who uh, was, a, was a biblical commentary in, in Eastern Europe in the 19th century, and he offers something which does dovetail with, with, a, with what's called in the philosophical world virtue ethics. He's... Malbim said, Chazak is to be strong once. Emat is to have the characteristic of always being a courageous person. Hatzmadatachozik is the, is, the, is the phrase. Anybody can be, anybody, like, if you go running tomorrow, that doesn't make you a runner. You go as a runner because you go every day. You don't go to the gym. You're, you're not a gym, gym rat because you went once. You're a gym rat because you go every day. So in, 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 in what's called virtue ethics, you know, there are different schools of ethics and, and, you, you might analyze what the right thing to do is, and that's called uh, duty ethics. You might do, you might analyze what the right outcome is, and that's called consequentialist ethics. Or you might analyze what's the right characteristics to have, what's the right kind of person to be. That's called virtue ethics. And virtue ethics say it's not it's not you know what you want to do is not only do the right what you want to do is not only manifest excellence one time, but make a practice of excellence over and over again. Uh, in 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 this way, say so do it until you become it, 
right? So if you're chazak, because you're going to face obstacles and you're going to have to toughen up and you're going to have to not let the obstacles, you know, knock you, knock you off your feet, not let, let the various obstacles that you face um, knock you off your feet and make you unable to pursue what is really your life's calling, your mission, what you would like the world to be. It, you should do that once. But if you do it over and over and over and over again, you become not just a person who stood up to the obstacles, but you become a courageous person who can regularly bear up under uh, under stresses and strains. And so if that if that's a good answer, which I think I think it is a good and interesting answer, um, I'm not sure that it's the biblical Hebrew answer, but it's it's certainly a fine answer that Moses is going to say to Joshua and to the people, okay, listen, you're going to go, you're going to go to Jericho, and I want you to be Chazak at Jericho, but then you're also going to go to Ai, and you're going to go to this place, and you're going to go to that place, and you're going to have all kinds of... And then you've got to be not just chazak today, but amat emat all the time. Let me offer let me offer something from the world of sport. Okay, so so I once uh, heard you know I wouldn't know this I wouldn't know this from my own athletic life. Okay, but sprinters and marathon runners have two different their, their muscles are different. The sprinter needs the power power like you need that power in your leg the thighs you, you look at sprinters and their thighs are just bulging and and marathon runners are just kind of lanky you know their their muscles are different and so you know based on what you said i'm i'm thinking you know th there's there's really two types of power one is the immediate you know um uh, de deployment of rapid force and there's long-term deployment of, of... You know, I don't know if you if you had this in mind or you might there's this man named uh, Eliud Kipchoge he's Kenyan he's the world's leading marathoner and and the other day he set he broke his own world marathon record he ran a marathon at 201 2 hours and 1 minute wow. running 26.2 miles an hour and for whatever reason you know the East East Africans, the Ethiopians, the Kenyans—they're just the most amazing distant runners. And and Kipchoge is, is Kenyan, and wow, two! I couldn't. Uh, how much could you run in two hours in one night? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I just I bicycled. You know, two hours. I could. That, that's that's good. Okay, good. Barry, I don't know. If so you're... I already go back to the end of Psalm twenty-seven. <laughs> And so the first is a kind of grace. You're supposed to hope in the Lord and however that comes to you. But if you're strong and you fortify yourself, then you can really hope in the Lord. And I think that we're to understand as the active partner to don't be afraid. It's, you know, telling a person not to be afraid is almost like telling them not to think of an elephant. Yeah. It's sort of hard not to be afraid when someone says, don't be afraid. <laughs> because we all have fears, and we we go through our lives struggling to master our fears in various times. And it's not so easy. But perhaps the simplest way to conquer our fear is to say, I am going to be strong. I am going to be resolute. And that is sometimes enough to set the, the the fear aside. So what what I find so so fascinating when you compare chapter thirty one our parsha to Psalm twenty seven is so in in 
in the Parsha, it's Moses saying to Joshua, it's Moses saying to the people, and get to Joshua 1, it's God saying to Joshua, the, the encouragement, um, the coaching, if you will, um, the prodding and this reminder of be strong is coming from an external source. In Psalm 27, um, this psalmist is working through his fear and is working through the the desire for shelter and safety and security. One thing I ask of the Lord, what does he want? He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, right? Why? Because it's safe there. It's safe there. It's security. He wants total security, but you can't live in the house of the Lord, right? And so, he, you know, by the end of the psalm, he's he's got to say to himself, well, I got no one else to say this to me. So I'm going to say this to myself, open the Lord. It's just, I gotta, there's no one that's saying this to me. I have to find it in myself to say to myself, don't fear. And that that's the development of strength. Otherwise, okay, so, otherwise fear, fear, fear just just you know hamstrings you. Um Barry, go on, and then, and then I wanted to say one thing about what we're doing in my shul. So it's interesting people. because we come back again to Psalm 27. So after Rachachalti, there's Lachs Open Noam Hashem, that he wants to have this vision of the, the sweetness or the pleasantness of the Lord. And this brings us back to Moshe. Moshe in the Torah is the ultimate outsider, he's the one who never gets into the land. The ancestors started in the land, the Avot, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they descend into Egypt, so they have that touch of the land. The generation that's going to go with Joshua into the Holy Land came from Egypt, but they're also going to get to the land. But Moses is outside. He's outside of his family. He doesn't quite fit in there. He's outside of everything. The only thing that he's not outside of is God. For the rabbis, Moses is the ultimate insider because he is Moshe Rabbeinu. He is the one that started it all for the rabbis. And the last thing that Moses gets is actually breaks the barrier. Because even though he is not allowed to enter the land, he gets to see it, he has a vision of it. And ultimately, Moses dies, in a sense, as a visionary. Hmm. He has this grand view of the promised land that, for reasons that we know and we've discussed, he cannot enter. But he is able to envision what it must be. And I think that that is God's act of grace at the end of his life, is that God allows Moses to see what he cannot have because that's as close as he could get to having it. I want to ask a question. Jeremy, go ahead. The fear thing. Um, so we did this this thing uh, before, assuming I were, we send out what we're calling it a collaborative poem, it's like a Google form. I ask eight questions. I ask people to write one line. Uh, I hope, I fear, I love, I believe, I remember, I regret, I, I mourn, I treasure. And people write different things. And I just want to uh, share with you some of the things that people wrote about fear. Uh, because, you know, some of them are are extremely, uh, if any actually people are, are reading, watching, you know, listening, they're all incredibly moving. But some of them are like particularly moving. Um, about the way that we the the fears that are in our hearts uh, this year, you know, and environmental and COVID and political and and very personal. Somebody wrote, 
I fear I will become a burden on my children. Um, I fear I will not be capable of meeting my obligations. I fear authoritarianism and growing anti-Semitism. I fear dying suddenly without goodbyes. I fear for when I am too old to care for myself. Um, there are a number of, of, of other ones. Um, I fear pessimism will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. Uh, I fear things are getting worse and not better. I fear for our democracy. I fear that the world is more and more about the haves and the have-nots. I fear for my children. Uh, you know, these are like, there's a lot to be afraid of. And of course, we have a, um, what would you say? We, there's a there's a kind of a, there's a bad fear and a good fear, right? Um, when we in Jewish religion talk about fear in a good way, we talk about yirah, meaning awe. And that is a kind of fear I think people want religiously, but what we can't, you can't have too much pachad. Right, you can't have too much. You know, I'm scared. I want to run away. Um, you have to have fear. Year ah, meaning I want to rise to this challenge. And this is perhaps what what the what the Bible or what the sense of virtue is trying to to, to give to us is a sense of you know like this this is really scary. There are challenges that I might be unable to meet, and yet I got to find myself in the resources that I got. I got to say to myself, I can't I can't run and hide in the house of the Lord. I'm gonna have to go out there and face them. But I got to give them to myself the the koach, the chizuk, the imuts, um, the omets, not imuts. This was, I, this was one of my imuts things on, on, on Rosh Hashanah. I, I talked about fear, and 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 you know, it says uvechein tzadikim yiru v'ismachu. I didn't use that text, but it's a great text, which is, you know, tzadikim, the righteous are fearful, full of awe, and they're full of joy, and and. You know, we can't forget the the need and the obligation for joy, and that in some ways the obverse of fear in all those and they're all each one of them is serious. Is there's a sense of we need we just have that much more uh, responsibility to find joy in our lives, and and the key is to to live in that zone where fear and joy are mingled. Another Malbim statement. I love the Malbim. It was because he had such a messy, terrible life. But he really what, what what happened to him? He was he was a child prodigy. He got married at fourteen. He divorced at eighteen. Lost a child. He married a second time. His wife had a nervous breakdown. Lost all his money. And, okay. and then wait, wait. The best part is that he couldn't get it. You know, he couldn't. He didn't have any money. So what did he do? He became a pulpit rabbi. Oh. <laughs> And worse, he got fired from every single pub he went to. Because <laughs> he just wanted to learn all day. He didn't want to actually talk to people. He was he was a most disagreeable personality. Let's just put it that way, okay? The point is, though, that the and he, had, he was brilliant. He was a brilliant commentator, and he said these things. He said you know things that had real insight, and and one of them was you know tiyas asim chablulai that joy and fear are, need to be mingled, and that in some way, you know, look, you 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 put out the catalog of of everything, and that that's, I I would say that that's where everybody's living right now. Everybody's living with with all of that fear, right? So what do you do with that? Well, you, I want to say something positive. You can't say either. So go ahead, Barry. So you mentioned Pachad. So one of the names by which God is known in Breshid is Pachad Yitzchak, the fear of Isaac. And Isaac provides a most interesting counterpoint to Moshe. 
because he's the only one who never leaves the land. Yes. And he also is a sacrifice for the people. Nice. So in the sense, Moses gives his entire life to the people. And in a different sense, so does Isaac. Because his near miss, if we could call the Akeda that, becomes a great symbol for the Jews in the generations that were to come. Wow. Okay. Mm. We gotta give some people people uplift here for 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 Yom Kippur. Well, Yom Kippur is coming. Yom Kippur is coming. It's the simulation of your death. My favorite holiday. <laughs> I love Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Because this is because the what the premise of Yom Kippur is that we can be better people. Yeah. And what could be more uplifting than that? We've all had a year, whatever it was for each of us as individuals, and now we have a chance to be better. So you talked about you know Moses as and his visualization or his vision, you know, and I was thinking as you were saying, and I'm thinking about it in, in different contexts, you know, we have so many different things in Judaism where we have to see ourselves as if you know, you a person has to see himself herself as if he she left Egypt. And there's another statement about Sinai. And you know, there's this this idea, Yom Kippur, we're seeing ourselves as if what? As if we are we are standing in judgment. But can you see yourself as being forgiven? And and maybe I wanna what I wanna give to people is a sense that can you can you see yourself on the other side? I think that the other side for that, um, Ellie, is that you have to see yourself as being able to forgive. Yeah. That's much harder than being forgiven. We all want to be forgiven, but we don't all want to forgive. Oh, it's quite correct. It's quite and correct. you might even one say, last thought, if I yeah. might. So what this part of the discussion reminds me of is Zusia of Anapol. Sure. We're supposed to see ourselves on Yom Kippur as we actually are, because that's what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to be someone else. He wants us to be the only person, the person that only we ourselves can be. And each of us has that opportunity. And Yom Kippur gives us a chance to make it right in the coming year. Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> you're quite right. Not, not only do we we all want, we want forgiveness, uh, the the writer, you know, well-known for the, for the uh, Narnia fantasy book, C.S. Lewis, who's also a Christian theologian, and he said, you know, we actually don't really want forgiveness. What we want to be told for the most part is, I, you know, you really don't want forgiveness. You want an excuse. It wasn't so bad. Everybody would have done that. You know, what, what you did is not really so bad. What those other people did, that's really bad. <laughs> you know, we want, we want, we want Rachamim for ourselves and Dean for other people. <laughs> um, I want to share with you something that I read this year. Uh, really, what I really liked a lot. The, the Mishnah says, it sins between you and God. Yom Kippur will will, will atone. Sins between you and another person. Uh, if, if you sin between you and another person, Yom Kippur doesn't do anything until you like, take the time to repair your relationship and appease the person you've wronged. Uh, some of the some of the rabbinic commentators on that. A uh, little passage read it with a with a kind of a sharp edge. Um, you know, the Ave wrote between you and God, Yom Kippur will take care of. But if you have 
uh, interpersonal sins until you uh, appease the person whom you've hurt. Yom Kippur is a no mechaper for anything. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't mechaper the, the 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 religious stuff either. If the social stuff is not taken care of, you cannot expect Yom Kippur to take care of the spiritual stuff. Which I thought is is not the simple meaning of the words, but a brilliant a brilliant historical or a brilliant th- spiritual kind of insight. Yeah. Listen, it's not just about you and God. It's not primarily between you and God. You have to change who you are socially if you expect. Yom Kippur to, to be to work its magic. Wow! Well, we've gone from from music and uh, Moses, be strong, Chazak ve'amatz. We should all have the the strength to go through Yom Kippur. We should have enduring strength to be able to go through that and to to be on the other side of it. We've come to the end of our time, so we have to be on the other side. We we are not going to see each other till the other side of Yom Kippur. And we're not going to see all of our listeners and viewers until after. We wish everyone a Gemar Chatima Tova. Wish everyone to be sealed in the Book of Life for a good sweet year. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again in another edition of our wonderful pleasure talk.